Linux Academy is one of today's sponsors. They cover cloud, DevOps, containers, orchestration, and other emerging tech that you've heard us talking about on the Packet Pushers Network. Whether you're flying solo or part of a team, wide-eyed noob or hardened pro, Linux Academy has training options for you or your team at linuxacademy.com. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the journey of learning that stretches across the full stack of technologies in today's data centers. As always, the purpose here on the podcast is to join together with another IT practitioner, and we'll chat to uh, about a particular topic or technology or product with the goal of sharing practical, usable, actionable, real-world information for the listeners they can take and apply to their own careers and their own roles. Uh, joining me today, we're going to be talking about security and the future of security. Uh, we have James Holland. James, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Scott. Very good. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hop on here with me. No problem at all. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in networking and security for 15 years. Um, I've done a variety of roles and you know, I've been in systems integrators, resellers, vendors. Uh, I'd started in support. I did a bit of implementation, design, professional services, technical pre-sales. I feel like I've been in most places, to be honest, and I'm now at, now working at a security vendor. Um, and, you know, I've been primarily focused for security uh, all that time. Um, but I've also, I think, like a lot of people in this industry, enjoyed learning and tinkering with all, all kinds of technologies, you know, enterprise technology, but also, you know, tinkering with gadgets at home. Um I do have a little bit of a life outside that, just a small one. <laughs> I do a bit of I do a bit of snowboarding, hiking, running. I did a half marathon yesterday. Um, I'm still aching a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, if you if you know, if, if stuff like that sounds interesting to you, uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm at James Holland underscore UK, and occasionally I pronounce it router, not router. Well, that's okay because you know that's the correct way to pronounce it. <laughs> but yeah, I found affinity with your podcast. Um, you know, I, I, whether you started in networks or storage or you know Windows or Unix or whatever, I think we've all come to realize in this kind of lean and agile and cloud world, we've all found ourselves needing to you know to break down the silos and understand the other adjacent technologies, you know, to, to be effective. So that's kind of why I really enjoyed listening to the podcast and thought it might be an idea to to do some uh, to do some more focused stuff on security. And and yeah, thankfully you thought it was a good idea as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate, uh, you know, appreciate the, the patience, uh, you know, uh, for listeners who are listening in and you've never tried to produce a podcast, sometimes mixing schedules with folks all around the world and who are traveling and, and juggling full-time jobs and side hobbies and families, it, it, it gets challenging from time to time. So I do appreciate James was very patient in getting getting us uh, scheduled. We've been talking about this for a couple months now, and I do think that taking the time to talk about security uh, as it pertains to sort of the idea of stretching your skills across all the different layers and all the different silos in the modern data center is particularly important and and particularly important as the the purview of the IT professional begins to extend beyond the data center into pieces of infrastructure that they don't own and don't control. And I, and I think that has some interesting implications for security that we'll explore as we uh, go along. So, um, you know, James, as a security professional, you probably feel like you have something of a target painted on your back, the way 
security <laughs> breaches and all of that are happening constantly. Uh, is, is it me or does it seem like the, the, the status quo, so to speak, just isn't cutting it these days? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so many attacks and breaches reported in the news now. Um, and that's not even just IT news. You know, it gets into mainstream news, right? We've, we've all seen it. And I think we're into we're into breach fatigue now. You know, it's no longer a shock or, or you know, it's, it's, it's not unexpected almost. Um, now, yeah, part of this, you know, a lot of people in security, we believe it's 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 almost like an unfair fight. Um, the bad guys, let's call them, you know, the, the threat actors, the malicious guys, whatever you label you want to give them, they uh, they keep probing, you know, they keep finding new techniques, new tools. Um, and every time they find something, we as a defending team, you know, whether that's the the end user, the organization, the the partner, the the vendor, whoever it is, is uh, together we're all on the defending team in this. Um, and we have to stop them at every attempt they have, right? Um, whether uh, whatever point along the life cycle of the attack that is, um, maybe we block them right at the start because they make a mistake or it's something we knew about already and we you know found a way to block it. Maybe it's halfway through. Maybe we catch them just at the end, you know, just as they're about to achieve their objectives. You know, whether it's exfiltrating data, destroying data, um, whether it's extortion, you know, ransomware, or just embarrassment or political motives. You know, there's there's all different means and motives, and um, you know, we we've. <laughs> We as a defending team have to be on our game all the time um, for every part of this attack uh, that, that we may be experiencing from any different given threat actor at any different point. Um, and the bad guys are automating. Um, yeah, we're going to touch on automation a couple of times uh, in this podcast uh, episode, I believe. So, um, yeah, they're, they're automating a lot. They reuse their playbooks. Um, they reuse tools and tool sets and techniques. Um, they'll be quite brazen. They'll straight up reuse um, command and control infrastructure. Uh, command and control infrastructure used for like the callbacks to make sure that they can operate, you know, the malware once it's installed and make sure they maintain remote access into an infrastructure once they've breached it. Um, so, yeah, they 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 reuse a lot of this stuff and they collaborate a lot between themselves. Um, the SaaS offerings, you know, uh, malicious SaaS offerings out there, you can go and buy, you know, ransomware as a service or DDoS as a service and and you get really good support as well. Yeah. <laughs> they have, these guys have good support plans um, and, and people will help you out, you know, as a paying customer when you're paying for these things as a service. So, um, yeah, uh, us as the good guys, you know, if, if we're fighting these automated collaborating uh, adversaries um, with, with manual tool sets and, and just humans, um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a fair fight, right? It's not one we're going to win. Uh, manual defense, automated attack, it's, it doesn't look good, right? <laughs> so, um, and, and it's slowly on the defending side, we're getting better at collaborating, for example. Um, there's something called the Cyber Threat Alliance, for example. Uh, you know, Palo Alto Networks, Fortinet, Cisco, Checkpoint, um, all in this collaboration. Juniper joined recently, actually, as well. And we're all sharing threat intelligence um, to make the defending team's job a little bit easier. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're trying, you know, we're trying to get that collaboration on, on the defending side better. We'll talk shortly about how automation is also helping us. Um, but, hey, the other thing that's not helping us, you know, you, you mentioned the status quo seems like, you know, everyone's getting reached all the time. Um, cloud. Now, you can't go anywhere in IT without talking about cloud these days. And um, that's that's ticked off something from the buzzword bingo for the listeners there. But uh, cloud is not inherently more insecure. Um, you know, particularly public cloud, public cloud providers, um, they're probably better at building secure infrastructure than the average IT shop. I don't think that's 
perhaps too unfair, but um, there's a shared responsibility model. You know, take IaaS. Um, you know, they'll look after the infrastructure, um, but the operating system, the application on top of that, and the data in, inside the application uh, for you as the end user, the organization consuming that public cloud, that's your bag. That's your responsibility. Um, and, you know, we've seen people leave S3 buckets in AWS wide open and they've simply been found. You know, people go and find them and then pilfer them. Um, and, you know, suddenly your data is everywhere. Um, so, you know, IaaS and PaaS uh, have given, you know, a lot of management services that used to live inside the data center are now internet facing and exposed to the world. So if you don't secure them properly, um, you know, you're going to have a bad time. And um, we, we all know as well, I think, you know, a lot of people, who've worked in public cloud have seen that the, the IAM, um, you know, uh, the, the, the way that we apply AAA authentication, authorization and accounting to public cloud isn't, isn't particularly easy. It can be quite, com um, can be quite confusing. It can be quite complicated. Um, so you'd be forgiven for making the odd mistake. So, um, that's probably some of the reasons I think why we, it feels like security has gone in that direction these days and why it feels probably like you said, a, a little bit like the status quo just isn't quite there at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, sitting here, you know, listening, uh, I am not a security professional. You know, I mean, I, I try to incorporate security as much as I can because I believe that that's kind of the necessary piece. And we could talk more about that later. It's kind of necessary to, to look at it across the entire life cycle um, rather than as an afterthought. But I'm looking at this as a non-security professional and I'm thinking, man, you know, this is this just doesn't sound good. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there's just. All this, I mean, you're talking about, you know, bad guys reusing uh, tools and frameworks and, and leveraging automation and collaborating well and, you know, being customer focused. Right. Uh, you know, and, and these are all the things that it feels like uh, traditional enterprise IT is just not doing. You know, they're, they're not <laughs> yeah. collaborating well and they're and they're not, you know, leveraging automation like they should and they're not reusing tools and they're not. Um, you know, focused on how they can better serve, uh, you know, their customer, which whether that customer is internal or external, right? Um, yeah. I, I've made the joke a few times, and, and you've probably heard it as well, that, you know, sometimes security is is the, or, or enterprise IT is the team that puts no in innovation. Um, <laughs> so Yeah, or sometimes also the, the, just the ministry of no. Oh, yeah, there you go, the ministry of no, absolutely. And, and, I, and, I, and I do appreciate the point that you made about, you know, sort of the the increasing complexity that we often find, um, especially as it pertains to uh, public cloud platforms, uh, you know, IaaS in particular, right? Um, I spend most of my time working with AWS, but I think this is probably applicable to a lot of the others as well. And, and that is, you know, like all it takes is just one little thing wrong, whether it be an IAM policy or whether it be a, a, a security policy on an S3 bucket or you know, uh, an incorrect security group uh, configuration for an instance. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's it. I mean, you're, you're done, you know, game over. Right. So it's, it's, it's just so, so crazy. Um, I want to take sort of that realistically, you know, fairly bleak picture <laughs> uh, and, and reassure listeners, you know, not all hope is lost. Don't worry. Um, but, but let's, let's begin to think about like, how can we um, both as security professionals and as non-security professionals, how can we begin to 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 address this, right? And and in my mind, and, I, and I'd love to hear sort of your thoughts on this before we dig in a little farther. But in my mind, there's sort of three, maybe more, but let's start with three three areas that I think are really really important. And I think you you touched on some of those. 
One is, is automation, right? Um, I'd love for us to chat about the role of automation and security. And, and is that really something that organizations need to be, um, need to be focusing on, right? Um, the other is uh, sort of the role of security as, as we look at, um, you know, the full stack, uh, you know, taking mm-hmm. the name from the podcast and not just security, like at the network layer and not just security, say at the AAA um, layer, but security across all of this, you know, security at the storage layer, security at the network layer, security at higher layers of the network protocols, um, security in the application, right? Um, because I think that a lot of times when folks hear security, they think firewall and that's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's only one aspect of it, right? Um, so that seems like something we need to think about too. And then the third point um, that I'd love for us to chat about is is sort of thinking about this um, in, a, in a more holistic way in that how can we begin to build a, a let's call it a culture of security, right, across um, multiple teams um, and, 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 and help, you know, everybody sort of understand that the role of security isn't, isn't one department's responsibility, but it's kind of all our responsibility, yeah. right? Do you think there's, and there certainly could be, but for the interest of time, we may not be able to discuss them, but we'll, we'll try. Do you think there are other important aspects that kind of help us begin to address this, you know, this picture of how we defend against all these attacks? Yeah, like I said, if you look at how the adversaries are playing this game, um, if you want to look at it that way, you know, the automation and the collaboration are, are maybe, and, and the speed at which they're moving, which is, you know, a byproduct of the automation. Um, that classic example, things like the the WannaCry and the NotPetya attacks uh, last year as we were recording this, um, very famous ransomware outbreaks that hit the news in a, in a big way. And the reason that they were both so successful from the adversary's point of view um, is the automation and the speed. Um, you know, you look at, you, know, it's, you take WannaCry, for example, it, it was self-replicating. It didn't need any input from the user or the adversary to spread. And it spread super fast, straight away, all the way through the LAN. It then went out and spread over the internet, um, you know, to anyone who had certain ports and things like that open with with machines that that weren't patched at the time. Um, and, you know, away it went. And it went super fast. It was automated. Um, so it goes back to those key themes of um, of what the adversaries are doing these days. Um, and like I said, I, to realistically, for us as the defending team, um, to have to have hope here, as you mentioned, we we need to we need to be automating as well. And um, that 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 hooks very much into the first thing you mentioned. And um, there's obviously different types of automation, and that goes across all of IT. Um, I think what most people think about straight away when they hear the A word, the automation word, is the uh, you know automation of deployment and, and automation of configuration. They probably think about things like Terrible and Ansible, uh, sorry, Terraform and Ansible uh, being the prime tool sets and um, uh, then you've got your stuff for after day one, you know, uh, making sure things scale in and scale out, making sure it's designed for failure and all these you know, new things that we do. Um, and and security is no different in that way. You know, a lot of times we have to do exactly the same thing. You know, we have to have if we are deploying firewalls and IPS and things like that, um, hopefully they're done in a nice consolidated way. We don't have to have, you know, 100 different point products anymore um quite frankly a lot of time it's better to have the functionality in 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 one sort of platform-based appliance um, that can correlate between all those types of technologies that we used to have in point products so whatever it is that you choose out of that um 
it, it needs to be automated in terms of its deployment capability and its configuration capability. Otherwise, we are going to be the guys who are slowing everything down as everyone moves to, uh, to, you know, to super automated and agile ways of working. Um, and that's great. You know, we don't want security to be the choke point or the blocker or the ministry of no or, or the no in innovation. Um, but um, that, that alone doesn't make you more secure. It, it makes you part of the business and part of the new world. Um, what we really mean in automation and security is the automation of the prevention of attacks and the automation of remediation um, and of incident response. Um, that, that's more direct correlation to actual security. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, there might, there's probably a bunch of folks listening who maybe aren't um, that close to security. And let, let's say uh, you know, we see a brand new threat, uh, a new piece of malware. Um, what we want to automate is the, the analysis of this malware. No one's ever seen it before, and maybe it can't be caught with existing signatures, be that you know, antivirus on the desktop or, or network-based antivirus, whatever it might be. Um, so we, we, we analyze it. We use maybe some dynamic and static analysis, sometimes known as sandboxing and things like that. Um, and we find it's malicious. You know, we, we've confirmed it's malicious. Um, you know, after having observed it, um, you know, maybe we see it makes this call to a command and control server in order to do its work and receive instructions from its, its owner. Um, that's going to involve, you know, a DNS lookup, uh, maybe calling out to a web server somewhere or some other kind of server um, and things like that. So when we've observed that, we want to automate the production of uh, signatures. You know, so as soon as someone sees that piece of malware for the first time, we're injecting protections um, from that analysis straight back into the system so that we're stopping the attack as, uh, you know, as it walks through the rest of its life cycle. Um, so, you know, if we've observed it making that DNS call, right, let's, let's feed that into our DNS system so we can sinkhole or block that DNS lookup. Um, even if it gets as far as that, let's make sure our web filtering or, or other type of filtering at the network layer blocks the actual command and control traffic if it does manage to get you know to the perimeter and, and things like that so that, that's kind of what we mean and we want to share that across all the infrastructure again not thinking as you said just about firewalls but the the enterprise it today you know the, the perimeter is dead you know big big old cliche right but it's true we've got mobile users everywhere we've got stuff in the cloud you know that's not in our own data centers or colos anymore so we need the intelligence that we've just learned about that new attack that new style of malware to propagate across all of those areas um, automatically. Um, and you know what? If something does happen and it, it, that attack does land and the endpoint's compromised, um, that's where the automation of the remediation comes in. You know, um, We want to be able to maybe automatically take that machine and quarantine it, put it on a remediation VLAN, so that involves automating back into the network layer. Uh, we then probably want to fire off uh, an API call to your ticketing system so that we can actually tell desktop support Hey, there's a machine's been compromised. Probably better phone the user. They're probably wondering why you know it's it's all going wrong for them today, um, and they can get their machine re-imaged. Um, and maybe you know let's automatically send an email or an SMP trap, a syslog, whatever, to the NOC or the SOC to make sure they've got visibility of it as well. So that's what we really mean by automation and security. All the deployment and configuration stuff's cool, and we have to do that to not be the choke point. But when we talk about automation and security, uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff we mean. And um, is that kind of the stuff you're expecting? I mean, that that to me is is what the security industry is talking about when we talk about automation as well as all that deployment stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I think actually sort of both aspects, and and I'll, I'll explain what I'm talking about here um, in a moment. Uh, the, the thing that's interesting to me, right, is, as as I'm sitting here listening to what you're describing, is that what you're describing is 
it's not beyond the realm of the doable, but yet we haven't gotten there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like what you're describing, you know, I could, I could immediately begin to see, okay, this platform here, that product there, this solution here, you know, whatever, right. Uh, Of doing all that. And yet something is holding us back. And and I think that's what kind of brings me back to the the sort of the the dual nature of the automation is when we talk about automation, um, there there was a great uh, reference to this. I've been reading um, Infrastructure as Code by Keith Morris, a great O'Reilly book. Um, And in there, he talks about this this um, this cycle of automation fear where, uh, you know, something gets automated and it doesn't work. And then so they have to roll it back and then that causes them to be less likely to do it again. And da, 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 and it just kind of feeds in this in this vicious cycle, right, where people don't want to automate because something bad happened and they don't know how to, you know, not let something bad happen again. Right. Um, that was caused mm-hmm. automatically by the automation, where whether it was, you know, a false positive in, a, in an email or a, uh, you know, a, a firewall rule that got installed that shouldn't have been and blocked legitimate traffic or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, and so when I when I talk about security automation, yeah, I see the ultimate end goal being what you described, where we have this this, you know, universe of security products that can be tied together through APIs and 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 systems. And, and I, I hopefully we'll get there at some point. But what I'd really love to see us get to is just. <laughs> this this like first step on that journey, right? Which is helping to automate the creation of you know, firewall rules and and you know whatever else you know whatever kind of and and I, I I focus on the firewall, but obviously that's only one aspect as you pointed out, right? Um, of all these other things too, right? Um, so I'm I'm yeah. curious, like you know what what is it that's holding back this? So let let's take this in two questions, right? First question: mm-hmm. What is it that's holding back that first level of automation? Or am I mistaken that it's not that, it, that it's, it's actually farther along than I think it is? Because I think it's not very far along at all. Um, and um, is that the second question then what is holding back sort of that bigger picture of the the big framework of security that we that, you know, that you described? OK, yeah, um, I think you'd be forgiven and anyone would be forgiven if they're not within security for thinking that stuff like this didn't exist already. Um one of the reasons why it's kind of seen as a better play now to have less point products and more of a of a, of a platform approach um, within a single vendor ecosystem is that you can do and achieve the kind of things I was talking about, you know, um, and and that's one of the goals there because if you had to stitch all of what I, you know, that that big monologue there about you know from from the single piece of malware we did all this cool stuff to to automate the the intelligence that we gained and then create prevention opportunities at different places around the infrastructure. Um, you know, it, it sounds like, well, there's about, you know, 20 odd products in there. And if I have to hook each one together, no matter how good each one has for an API and, and this, that, and the other, and it, uh, that sounds like a hell of a lot of work. And, and quite frankly, I think, you know, we could have probably done stuff like this 10, 15 years ago, but that was just too much work, um, too much hard work. And, and probably the, the cost benefit didn't work out um, at the time. And I think now with the adversaries being so automated, I don't think we have much of a, I don't think we have a choice but to automate. Um, so yeah, the, the, the stuff out there that can do this now, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not on the marketing push, but, um, you know, there's, there's platforms out there, there's vendors out there that can do this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and that is the goal these days. I mean, it's funny you mentioned infrastructure as code, right? Um, 
the security kind of not version of that, but the security slant on things like that is is you know you hear people talk about compliance as code. Um, compliance and security are never too far away from each other, right? And um, you know another example maybe of, of an automation opportunity. Um, you could have a kind of automated scanner or, or vulnerability scanner or port scanner that, that goes around, and if it finds you know a machine, a switch, a server, whatever, listening on port twenty three, which we typically know is net um, telnet. Uh, or maybe it finds a, a firewall that's allowing port 23 through, uh, through the rule base, for example. Um, you know, that fails the PCI audit because we're supposed to encrypt um, all non-console uh, administrative access, right? That's part of the PCI, you know, checklist. Um, so ideally, that system would then go and remediate the thing. You know, it would maybe turn off listening for port 23 or, or, or you know, remove the firewall rule that's opening port 23. Now, that comes to the second part of what you're talking about, which is the the fear of doing stuff like that automatically because you're going to break something. And and that's where it kind of, I guess, does, it's it's hard to see at the moment um, how that can be anything other than a two-step process, which involves a manual check in between the two steps. You know, the first step of I've identified something that isn't good, it isn't compliant, it isn't secure, whatever the, the case may be. Um, and then, you know, waiting for a human to analyze, okay, yeah, we can turn that off or remediate that situation without breaking the business you know that's you you mentioned some kind of you know high level examples of of why people are fearful almost you know, of security because it could break things that are working and and that's you know that doesn't make us popular on top of already being the ministry of no in the first place when we do go and do stuff we break stuff if we do you know we we've got the um We've got the ability to break a lot of stuff very quickly in security, almost as quickly as the guys in the network, I'd say. You know, um, you take one server out and hopefully there's not too much um, too much bad times happening, but you take like the network out, everyone knows about it, and security can take out a lot of things in one go as well. So, um, but yeah, I, the the other the other area we've got to, to finish off the buzzword bingo card is um, is machine learning. That that works into our automation potential as well, uh, and this is where we go a bit more into the future. Um, I, I would say. Current, almost current, maybe, you know, sort of near future. And um, it's a good way, to, I think, that we're going to improve effectiveness in security. Um, you've got kind of your supervised machine learning, you know, where you've got your your data set and it's labeled and, and you know, maybe we label files as good or bad, you know, benign or, or malicious. And um, if we've got a big enough sample, we can start to then um, train a model and, and you know, we'll get to a point where we can actually see good or bad files without having to do that analysis and without having patient zero or, you know, infection zero where it was the first time we saw it. So, you know, we had no chance but to um, to let it through. Then the unsupervised machine learning where you just throw a load of data uh, and let the model, you know, sort itself out. And um, that works more better for like anomaly detection. So if someone has breached your network and they've compromised the user and their endpoint, they could then start using, you know, operating system tools, you know, to sort of move around the network laterally. And then they look just like a normal user because they've got real credentials, real operating system tools, um, and it's hard to find. And that's where anomaly detection comes in for for, for, for pre preventing the attack at that middle stage. Um, so, and, and for all of those, you know, machine learning, the way that the, it goes, you need a lot of data to train these models, you know, and to make them accurate. Um, you need probably sort of, you know, 100, maybe more times more data than we currently collect in our sort of SEIMs, our seams and stuff like that. So that's kind of where things are going. I think we're going to end up again using a lot of data to try and train models to try and get things to be more accurate. And then if we're more accurate, we're less likely to be those guys that are always, you know, 
hated on for, for breaking stuff when we try to automate, you know, security or automate remediation. We will be back to the episode in just a moment. But first, Linux Academy offers an awful lot of training for people like you. Technology topics include cloud, Amazon Web Services, Azure, Google Cloud Platform, Linux, security, DevOps, containers, OpenStack, and big data. You'll consume those topics with courses, real hands-on labs, cloud servers, flashcards, a course scheduler, a Slack group, and more. Now, perhaps you're a cynic and you want to try out Linux Academy before plunking down your hard-earned money. Well, check out the free Community Edition. That gives you some valuable free content and a few features and the chance to see what you think. Perhaps some of you work in a team at a company. Well, there's a team option for you. And a team account at linuxacademy.com comes with a reporting console, assessments, the ability to group teams into subteams, a management console, and customized learning paths where you can put quizzes, certified courses, and a performance-based assessment into an order of your choosing and then measure how well your training program is going for your team. And what you should see when you take those measurements is that your group is keeping up much better with technology as it changes, rather than getting stuck in an operational rut. In July 2018, Linux Academy is having their biggest content launch in their history, with more than 150 new hands-on training products added to the catalog. Find out more at linuxacademy.com. And now let's go back to today's episode. All right, so there's there's an interesting piece I wanted to to pick out of that um, that I think kind of takes us right into the next topic. And that was, um, you know, it's it's difficult to envision how you could do security automation without, you know, some sort of higher level system, whether that be a machine learning system or a human um, sort of looking at this and saying, yes, uh, this is, you know, wrong, incorrect, uh, non-compliant, whatever the case may be. And it is something that we can disable without having a ripple effect on other applications, other services, other whatever, right? In other words, we can do this without breaking the business. Um, and so as I think about the next topic, um, and that's, this was sort of the second of the three things that I mentioned, and that was security becoming sort of more aware of, of things at a, at a higher level of the stack. Do you think that being able to give um, security tools sort of visibility into higher level constructs, Um, you know, things like, uh, you know, uh, higher level protocol awareness. So, you know, operating, say, at layer seven instead of layer three or four or um, a a topology of an application like these are these are the services that my application uses. And these are the ways in which my application communicates. And anything outside of this is, you know, wrong, bad, bad you know, not good, whatever term you want to use there, right? But we have to sort of add that sort of additional awareness into the security tools in order to do that. And so I'm wondering, do you think that's going to help address this need to, or or, or maybe even possibly remove this need to have, you know, a manual approval? I mean, can we can we mitigate that by by helping security move up the stack with with more awareness of higher level constructs? Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, <clears throat> security today is, is making a good leap towards being more uh, aware. Um, so you talk about from a from a firewall point of view, moving away from layer three, layer four, port and protocol, traditional, boring, stateful firewalls. You know, um, going up to layer seven, um, inspecting the packets and making sure that you know the the traffic you think is going through is what you expected. Um, 
one of the most uh, infamous breaches uh, a few years ago, Target, um, over there in the States, in fact. Um, you know, the, the, the data exfiltration there was, was uh, you know, FTP over port 80. And anyone who's worked in networks or security knows, you know, you expect, you don't expect FTP over port 80. That's normally HTTP or web browsing. Um, so, you know, if, if firewalls uh, that, that those guys had uh, would have been application aware up to layer seven, um, hopefully the rule set would have said, you know, something along the lines of, yeah, you can you can go over the firewall um, using port 80 uh, to do web browsing um, and anything else is not cool. Um, so so you, sir, who are trying to FTP over port 80, you're not getting through. Um, and that would have stopped the exfiltration at that point. Now, it would have maybe not stopped them to, you know, to carry on and try and find another way to exfiltrate the data, you know, all the card data that, that leaked out of Target uh, a few years ago. Um, but, you know, it would have made them work harder. And by working harder, they may have made a mistake or, or tripped some other kind of security um, tool set that they may have had. Um, you never know. I'm thinking positive here to uh, to actually have tripped an alarm. And, and that might never have, have got to its conclusion. Um, certainly firewalls have been doing this for quite a few years. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll find if you look at the applications they have listed um, for, for packet inspection, where we can say, yeah, uh, I'm not just going to look at the port and protocol and assume that it's the well-known application that uses that port. Um, you know, that you might find for, for port 80, you know, there's there's three, 400 applications because quite frankly, a few years back when people realized, oh, if I make my application just use port 80, I can get around most firewalls and it makes it easier to install the application. Um, but from the, from the attacker's side, that makes it easier for their, you know, malware or whatever to do the same thing and just use port 80. You know? So it's, it's worked both ways at that point. Um, we, there's also the concept of user-based firewalling, you know, where we hook into all the bits and bobs in the infrastructure that can tell us where users are, where they're logged on, you know, things like looking for Active Directory logins, looking for um, associations to SSIDs in Wi-Fi, looking for people hitting proxies, looking for uh, NAC systems maybe, um, you know, people on terminal servers and Citrix sessions, all sorts of things where there's little nuggets of information that tell us, hey, it was... It was Bob on 10.10.10 and it was Jill on 10.10.11. And, you know, at that point, if we can associate users to IP addresses, you know, it makes our, our job of creating policy a little bit easier because we're now not shoehorning people onto, you know, DHCP reservations or even static IPs or, or whole subnets that are created. If you think about it, just to, so the firewall can reference that subnet, it's back to front. You know, the network design is being led by the firewall's capability. If we just do things based on users, you know, that makes our life a lot easier. Um, now, your user to IP mapping has got to be rock solid, obviously. There's a prerequisite step there. But um, if we can then, you know, say, for example, uh, the finance group is allowed to get to this finance application, this payroll application, um, suddenly we're talking in English as well, right? Not by only, by making it more secure, you know, by limiting it to only the application and not the port and by limiting it, limiting it to the users and not just some random set of IPs that we believe is correct, um, we've made it more secure, but also it's in English, not not jargon. Um, it makes the, the fabled firewall change request form, you know, it should make it a lot easier to fill out, you know, for the service delivery managers and the project managers. Um, it should make it easier for everyone to communicate on the same terms. Um, and at the same time, it's got a chance of, of helping us in what you mentioned, which is trying to take maybe some of the some of the choke points out, some of the blocker points out of, of the traditional um I guess, ITIL style process of, of change management, um, because we know that we kind of need to 
hopefully, you know, remove some of the, the manual steps in processes like that to get to a place where security is, you know, not, not being a hindrance to, to, to being lean and, um, and to getting things done quickly and, and helping the business, you know, be, be agile as it needs to be in, in, in the current, current market, you know, that's, that's the way the IT is going. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of where we see it going, I guess. Um, you know, if, if we do things based on, on those higher up protocols, um, and, and higher up application and user contexts, um, we have got a much better chance of, uh, of doing things properly, hopefully. It does seem to me that, that, as I'm, I'm sitting here listening, you know, to to the conversation, it does seem to me that, you know, being able to describe these higher level constructs and being able to have more granular constructs, uh, you know, things like, you know, being able to include a user account in in a in a security policy or being able to include a, an endpoint in a security policy, you know, coming from a phone versus coming from a tablet versus coming from a, you know, a PC um, or uh, either coming from another service, it seems to me that the you know that the the future of security is is distributed, right? It is mm-hmm. it is granular and it is really really close to the endpoint, um, whatever that endpoint is. I mean, and that, by that I mean it could be something sitting inside a microservice, um, you know, uh, architecture sitting inside a container, or it could be an agent running on a on a on a VM, or or it could be you know, uh, something running in a hypervisor or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, but it seems like the, 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 what we really need is that, that enforcement point to be pushed further and further and farther um, away from the core and closer and closer and closer to the endpoint so that we can have the ability to tie into these higher level constructs and begin to enforce on these higher level constructs. Of course, I'm no security pro, so I could be wrong, but <laughs> that's what it seems like it needs to be. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Um, and, and so I think that that kind of leads us into the third part of the discussion. And I think here we can, we can hopefully begin to provide some, some very um, practical information for the listeners. Not that the conversation hasn't been very educational and very informative, but I want to you know, try and bring this back down to you know, rubber meets the road sort of thing, right? And that mm. is how can everyone help contribute to making the overall architecture more secure. Like if you had to say, here are the top two or three points that you as a non-security professional need to think about, right? What, what comes to mind? And, and the reason I ask that is because if, if we're talking about taking security and sort of distributing it, right, then that means there's going to be security in the storage and there's going to be security in the operating systems and there's going to be security in the hypervisors and there's going to be security in the network switches and security in the virtual switches and security in the firewalls at the perimeter um, or wherever they may be, um, you know, and uh, and that means it's going to touch on all the different aspects of an IT professional's, you know, skill set, right? So what are, in your opinion, you know, the top two to three things that non-security professionals need to think about or or be aware of? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, you know, I, I think security, I'm sure a lot of people would say this about their discipline, but it, like you say, it, it almost touches everything in the infrastructure. Um, and, you know, net, network gets pretty close. You know, everything's generally not joined together by the network. Um, but the network has to be secure. Storage has to be secure. Servers have to be secured. Um, cloud has to be secure. Mobile has to be secured. Laptop, PC, etc. So, um 
and and I think possibly security is probably still seen as, as as too hard to implement or too painful or too slow, which is generally why uh, security teams, whether it's application security in the development lifecycle, whether it's infrastructure security, you know, I, I think we generally are seen as a bit painful, um, and um, yeah, therefore we're probably not the first people that that folks want to come and engage with. Um, so we tend to be in that cliche place of being bolted on towards the end of the project where someone will say, oh, hey, you know, we're, we're getting close, POC's working, we're, we're in pre-prod, whatever. Oh, yeah, security, damn. Um, so the, the earlier the better, and I know it's a cliche, and, and some people have probably heard that before, but it, it genuinely works. I, I've seen it work. Um, the, the earlier the better. Um, and, you know, if, if particularly if you are, either thinking about, you know, becoming someone who works more in cloud and, and agile environments, whether your organization is becoming that that way. Um, yeah, certainly any, anyone who's read the Phoenix Project, right, the, the seminal book in this area, I think, um, Parts Unlimited and, and John the CISO, who was, it was, you know, at the start of the book was that ministry of no, right? And then towards the end, he was fully on board. Um, and then they started to weave security into the fabric. And, and that started by getting them involved at the start of projects, um, at the start of programs, uh, and you know, it, it worked better. Um, so that, that's, that's one of the first things I guess. Um, and the second thing I guess is to, for everyone who's not in security, um, maybe some of what we've spoken about today did come as a bit of a surprise, you know, that we can, uh, that we do have products that are controlled, can be controlled by APIs. Um, you know, we can work in frameworks, uh, we can work with terrible and answer form and things like that. Um, we can be orchestrated, uh, we can be integrated, we can form part of your CICD pipelines and all these good stuff. Um, and we can, so we can basically use the, the same tool sets to the rest of IT. Um, so don't kind of count us out as, oh, they've got their own stuffy things. Um, go and, and talk to your security guys and, and understand how what they're using can can be part of that. Um, and I guess if if the answer to that is, is still a no, then maybe your security team have got a little bit of an evolution um, to, to go in, in getting to the new, a new set of tools that can do that. But it's probably better that you guys let them know about that earlier so they can go and, and help out, right? And, um, and that comes back to the whole, you know, uh, silo busting and, and, and again, reaching over the, uh, reaching over the cubicle and, and uh, talking to the other folks in the other team, which is, you know, I guess that's part of what the, the whole full stack journey is about, right? So, um, and and the final thing is always keep a, f a few, if you can keep a few principles with you from security, um, you know, I think these kind of principles always apply, which is you start with, start with full visibility. Um, you can't secure what you can't see. <laughs> so if you've got full, full visibility, you can see what's going on, whether that's, you know, full logging or full capturing or whatever. Um, and then within, with that knowledge, you can then start to reduce your attack surface area. Um, so we're talking about turning off unnecessary things, you know, closing unnecessary ports, uh, not running unnecessary processes, um, not having unnecessary privileges. You know, when you come to that IAM uh, kind of concept within your public cloud, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Microsoft, Amazon or Google or whoever. Um, and then you're left, hopefully, with this, you know, not only lean, but also secure because you remove the unnecessary stuff to reduce the attack surface area um, kind of infrastructure that is, you know, all that's left is what is legitimately needed for the business requirements. Um, and then you apply your threat prevention tool sets. Hopefully they're automated. They give you the uh, ability to prevent your attacks, um, whether that's at the early or the later stages. So if you kind of keep that visibility, reduce attack service area, then prevent the threats from what's left, you know, that should help you be a bit leaner about security. And, and those are kind of 
generic principles that I think you can take into into you know into other areas of infrastructure. You know, they're applicable not just to security tool sets, but to to, to most of the kind of IT components we work with. Um, hopefully, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I that's that's really good. I mean, I think that giving listeners these sort of you know principles that they can take and then incorporate them into their engineering and architecture efforts, getting security involved earlier in the process. And, and, you know, you're spot on about, you know, just going and talking to other departments. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many, how many times, you know, I've had a guest on here and they like, you just need to go talk to your networking group or go talk to your storage group or go talk to your security group. Cause so often yeah. people just don't. Right. <laughs> and yeah. Um, and Maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's harder than we make out. I guess it's easy to say that if 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 it's a friendly organisation or you, you've managed to do it before or whatever. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying it's easy for everyone to do that all the time, but you know, it's something to strive for certainly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, totally, totally agree, totally agree. So, well, this has been um, a, a fabulous conversation. I really appreciate um, the information you've shared, James. Um, I think it probably best we're you know we're coming up on on the end of our time, so we're probably best to go ahead and begin to wrap up here, but. I do want to give you just a, a quick moment. Are there any sort of, you know, final closing thoughts that you want to, you know, share with the listeners or um, you think you're, have we already kind of covered everything we need to cover at least in our, in our, a lot of time? Yeah, I, th- I think I'd, I'd summarize what we could, what we talked about. I think they're the key, they're the key interesting points in security that you may or may not be aware of if you're not in security. Right. And it's that, you know, we're still relying too much on users to do the right thing, you know, to recognize a phishing site, to not turn on macros in office documents and not open the malicious attachment that's just been emailed to them. And so, you know, things like automation, machine learning, um, it, it sounds like buzzword bingo, apologies, but they are the things that might actually help us progress in these areas. Um, you know, if we can then move to, to the place where automation is, is allowed or, or you know, in, not perceived to be um, something that's going to break stuff so that automation can actually make the changes um, to, you know, to, to make our infrastructure more secure and to stop attacks that might be in flight, then um, that, that's where I think, we, you know, we'll be in a good place. Um, and there's a few, you know, in, people doing interesting things. And I've, I've got a bunch of links that we're going to share in the show notes, right? Um, there's people doing, I think everyone on this, who's listening to this has probably heard of the likes of Chaos Monkey, for example. I think it was Netflix, wasn't it? You know, turning off random stuff in, in the cloud to, to, to prove they've got their reliability. And people are starting to do things like that with security, you know, to, to go around doing random checks and, and make that automated. And so there's people in security doing cool stuff <laughs> in the same way that people are doing it for, for other parts of, of cloud and infrastructure. So um, there's a few links I can drop you. Uh, to put in the show notes, a few interesting people to follow on Twitter and, um, you know, sprinkle a couple of those into into the people you follow and, and you know, make yourself more of a rounded IT person, I guess. <laughs> and um, and I guess the final thing I'll, I'll do is just, you know, for your own security as well, <laughs> you know, don't don't reuse passwords everywhere. You know, websites are getting breached all the time. Please use a password manager. Um, please, you know, consider using an ad blocker. Um, you'll also, again, get rid of a load of threats to your own personal uh personal workspace, you know, even your own personal machines and, um, and don't use, don't use admin accounts. You know, if you've got a, a Windows laptop recently, don't use an admin account day to day. You know, those two or three things are just for your own personal security as a little bonus. Oh, that's perfect, James. I mean, we've, we're, we're giving people practical information for their own personal security and practical information that they can put to work uh, at their, at their job or in their role too. So that's, that's perfect. Uh, outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing that information, James. I think that the listeners will find this to be very, very useful. And I think we've given them some 
um, some good information to to uh, ponder and think about. And, and keep in mind, listeners, that James is going to uh, give me some show notes that will uh, or some resources that will include in the show notes rather. And uh, so there'll be stuff when we uh, when we go live with the episode uh, that you'll be able to uh, get from the show notes to uh, to sort of expand your line of thinking. So, uh, James, again, real quick, uh, online contact information where listeners can follow you online that you'd love to share. Yeah, the best place is probably on Twitter, like a lot of people, I guess. Um, you can follow me at James Holland underscore UK. Um, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Feel free to ping me a message or uh, drop me some funny cat videos or, or whatever you fancy, and uh, I'll be happy to uh, to have a chat with you. All right, perfect. Thanks, James. And listeners, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, join us as we uh, chat about uh, technologies and uh, practices and processes um, that uh, hopefully will help you in your ongoing evolution as an IT professional and the journey of learning uh, that you are um, currently upon uh, that will take you across the full stack of technologies in the modern data center. If you'd like to reach me, your host, Scott Lowe, you can hit me on Twitter as at Scott underscore Lowe, my website, blog.scottlowe.org. And you can also, uh, you know, post a tweet directly to the podcast at FSJ podcast on Twitter. The show notes and the podcast will be published, as always, on the Packet Pushers website. And uh, if you are um, working for a company that might be interested in sponsoring the podcast, by all means, reach out. We do have some sponsorship opportunities available. Thanks again for listening, and you guys have a great day out there. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.